So, this morning, it's a special Father's Day message. Um, So, we're in Matthew chapter 19, starting in verse 16. Oh, wait a minute. That's just continuing on through what what our study has (laughs) been. I thought it was so fitting. I thought, you know what, Uh, continue on through our study through the Gospel of Matthew. We get to this chapter, chapter 19, covering these these verses. And uh, we're talking about um, the rich young ruler, uh, which uh, most of us may be familiar with. um, This whole exchange between Jesus and the question that this man had for Jesus. So the title of this morning's message is, Fitting a Camel Through the Eye of a Needle. Fitting a camel through the eye of a needle. Did you know it was possible to do that? It is. You laugh, but it is. It's possible to fit a camel through the eye of a needle. We'll explain how. So let's, uh, let's, let's all stand to our feet one more time. We're going to honor the Lord by reading these verses on our feet. All right. So Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. And behold, a man came up to him, saying, Teacher, What good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these I have kept, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly, I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on His glorious throne, you who have followed Me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for My name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last And the last first. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that with you all things are possible. Lord, sometimes we see with the physical eye and don't see how it could be possible to do certain things. Lord, sometimes we see with the eye of our emotions, our feelings, and really don't understand how we can get past certain circumstances in our lives. Instead, Lord, your word tells us that we ought to see through the eye of faith, believing that the impossible is possible with you, that there's nothing impossible for you. Lord, even our salvation, 
Even the hardness of our hearts can be broken down by the love that you have demonstrated to us. I pray that this morning would be no different. This morning, Lord, that we would see beyond our circumstances. That we would allow you to soften our hearts by your grace, your love, and your mercy and draw us unto yourself. That if there is anything in the way, Lord, of either salvation or fully surrendering to you, that today those things would be completely knocked down. And we would, Lord, run to you. Draw closer to you. And Lord, we would enjoy a peace which surpasses all understanding as we place our certain hope in you. And so, Lord, we commit this morning into your hands, Father, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, any of you watch videos on YouTube? No one? Okay. So, <laughs> you do. They're very entertaining, right? Instructional and, you know, everything, all the above. But, you know, there are plenty of videos on YouTube and social media that show some pretty amazing things. Uh, things that happen, things that people do, from jumping out of an airplane without this thing that's necessary. It's called a parachute. Did you know, did you know that there have been several people that have jumped out of airplanes without parachutes on purpose? On purpose. And, and uh, one I was watching came down into this big, huge net. I don't know from what altitude it was, but jumped out and actually landed it. Landed, turned at the last second, and, and just went right into this net and caught him. Amazing, amazing, right? This other one I, I saw was, was in a wingsuit and came down what looked like, uh, like a football field of cardboard boxes. I don't know if it was cardboard boxes, but it, but it looked like it. And uh, came and just like just ran into him and softened his fall, and he came out. It was like just absolutely amazing things that that you can find on on YouTube. And I saw these things. And so, uh, and have you ever seen the dog that can jump like I don't know? I think like fifty feet in the air. It just seemed like fifty feet, but it wasn't. It was like this amazing dog. Dogs can do these amazing things. So anyway, a lot of stuff on on there that uh, can entertain you and can instruct you. And uh, there's also, you know, pastors that put on messages and things like that. Now, all of these things we, we think would be impossible. Right? I would never try that. I would never try jumping out of an airplane without, without a parachute. Um, you know, all of these things are amazing. Things that we would think would be absolutely impossible. But one thing for sure that we know is that taking a big old... Have you guys seen a camel? They're big animals, Right? They're not like, like this ant. Like an ant, if the Lord would have said, well, you know, it, it's, it's more difficult for a, an ant to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven, then we would have said, okay, it's possible, but a camel to go through the eye of a needle. That we know with our own understanding would be absolutely impossible. But Jesus responded to this simply by saying, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Do you believe that? This morning, we will learn that what Jesus was referring to and what is required of a person to gain eternal life and how the Lord is willing to show us what stands between us and Him. Sometimes that seems insurmountable, like it cannot, you cannot get past it. It's impossible. 
Oh, you don't know how far I've gone. You don't know where he's at. That, that person will never come to the Lord. We'll keep praying because all things are possible with God. But we need to also understand stand not only what stands between us and salvation and eternal life, but really what stands between us and the Lord and being completely surrendered and walking in, in intimate fellowship with Him. What we see is that what we desire most can be tested and proven by how we respond to God, exposing what is preventing us from coming to Him in full surrender and belief. Or the testing can also expose what has been hindering an intimate and full relationship with Him. What has been keeping you from fully trusting Him, abiding in Him, and knowing His peace and joy. Now, oftentimes what's proven is that we really don't trust fully in Him. And what comes to the surface when we are tested is anxiety, stress, fear, doubt, all of these things. And even compromise, we start running to other things. So what comes to the surface is the very thing we should repent of, turn away from, and then run to Jesus. That's our moment. We don't stand condemned, but convicted before Him, that we may learn to do the right thing and trust in Him. With this said, always remember that what is impossible with man is possible with God. Again, the question for us that we need to really reply to and answer, hopefully in the affirmative, is do you believe this? If so, does your life reflect this faith and trust in Jesus? Now, specifically, what Jesus is referring to is salvation, eternal life. When this man comes to him and asks him this question, he's talking about eternal life. It says, And behold, a man came up to him, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? So he's speaking specifically about eternal life, salvation. Now, this man who approached Jesus is described in similar and in slightly different ways in three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew simply says, a man came up to, who came up to him. Verse 16, Mark, in Mark ten seventeen says, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him. So a couple more details. Not only was he a man, but he ran up to him and he knelt before the Lord, according to Mark. And Luke says, and the ruler asked him. So not only was he a man who ran and knelt, but he was also a ruler, According to Luke 18, 18, they describe him as young. So all of them describe him as young. Uh, young in the word that they use for young means a man who is between the ages of a 20 and 40. He was rich. Uh, this means he was rich. He was wealthy, above average, basically, is what we're looking at. And one being a ruler. And it's believed that perhaps he was an official of the synagogue. Now, both Mark and Luke say that this man addressed Jesus as good teacher. And Matthew says that he had asked about what good deed he must do to have eternal life. And Mark and Luke both say that this man asked what he must do to inherit eternal life. In all three Gospels, Jesus replies to the man by asking him if he really knows what is good and who is good. It all makes the same point. It's not contradictory. It all goes in the same direction. Like, do you understand who you're asking about what is good? Do you understand who you're referring to as good? It's a question. It's not a denial of deity. But it's a question. Do you understand who you're asking? 
Oftentimes, I think we need to be asked that very same question. Do you understand who you're asking, who you're coming to? We, we need to acknowledge that as we come to the Lord, that we're asking the Lord, God, the creator of the universe, the one who knows all things. So that's exactly what he's asking him. If he knows exactly who he's asking and who he is asking this question to. And so at this point, we know that this rich young ruler did not know or acknowledge exactly who he was standing before and asking this question. But we do. As, as we look at this situation, this whole story unfolding before our very own eyes, we do know exactly who it is that this rich young ruler is asking this question to. Because Jesus said, only God is good. And we can say, and he's standing right before you. This man really can be representative of everyone who believes they have done enough to enter into the kingdom of heaven on their own merit. Believing they are, quote-unquote, rich in something that they are relying on to get them into heaven, knowing eternal life. If you ask someone, well, what's going to get you into heaven? Well, I've done a lot of good things. You know, I, I've done charitable deeds. I've done this. I've done that. So this man can represent that person. Um, you know, I've, I'm just, uh, I, I don't know, I've, I've done nothing bad. Now, what we know is that this man obviously was not satisfied and definitely not certain, or else he would not be asking if he was satisfied and certain of his eternal life. He wouldn't be asking that to Jesus, anyone else. He wouldn't be asking that question. Many people have their own thoughts on how to get to heaven, but actually have never sought the answer. They have their own thoughts. You know, how... Do you know you're going to get to heaven? How do you think you're going to get to heaven? But they've never really asked the question, how am I? How do I get to heaven? It'd be good to get directions. I know men, we're here Father's Day. I know we're really horrible. Our wives suffer, and so do our children. (laughs) I know we have GPS, but when that goes out, what do we do? Is this the right place, honey? Yeah, we're, we're... I know how to get there. Hour later, are you sure? I'm certain. An hour later, hey, it'd be good for for us to get directions. No, ask so-and-so. They they might know, you know, right here at the gas station. They might know. They don't know. But you know what I'm saying is, is it be good for us to know how to get from point A to point B? It's good to get directions from someone who knows how to get from point A to point B. The Word of God tells us exactly how to get to heaven. It would be good for us to ask and get the answer from God. How do I get to you? Is it by deeds? No. No, we're going to read about that. Is it because I've been keeping the law? No, not, not that either. Well, then what is it? Jesus initially answered this man with this. And, it, and it's all leading. Remember, Jesus is God, and he's leading, the, leading him in, in this, this question and answer um, situation. He says, if you would enter life, keep the commandments. And so the man's answer was, which ones? 
Well, Jesus referred to the Ten Commandments, specifically number six, seven, eight, nine, and then he goes back to five. All in that order. Six, seven, eight, nine, and then back to five. And he also referred to Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, which says, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. These all, by the way, are relating to the relationship between people. It's a, it's a horizontal relationship with mankind. It's something that can be judged by others. It's an external evidence of keeping these laws. You know, some people, they can, they can judge. You know, yeah, so he hasn't murdered. He hasn't committed adultery and on down the list. He, he's, it seems like he's loving his neighbor as himself. All these things are external. They can be judged. They can be uh, reviewed, you know, by others and determined to either being followed or not. Now, with this list laid out, the ruler said to Jesus that he had kept these commandments from his youth. From, from my youth, I've kept these, all of these. Five, six, seven, eight, nine, in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. I've kept them all. All of my life, life, I've kept them. Now, do you not think that Jesus could have challenged that? He could have. Can you imagine? He, he could have just jotted something down. He says, well, what about that situation? I forgot about that one. What about that one? Oh, that too. Yes. Right? He could do the same with us. Right? Well, I, you know, I've been good. Really? What about that one? Troy. Right? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I love you, brother. You know what I mean? He, he can do that. If we're honest with ourselves... He can do that with us too. There seems to be a strong implication by this young man that he thinks that he is still lacking something that is necessary to attain eternal life. He doesn't seem to have a peace in certainty. What is it? I can't put my finger on it. There's still something missing. I've kept the law as best as I can and I've been consistent in charitable work, giving myself... And my, you know, my finances, I share them, but I, I still don't know if I'm going to heaven. That's a terrible place to be. Terrible place to be. And then Jesus drops the bomb, right? If you really want to be made perfect, that means come to the fullness of salvation of righteousness. He says, sell it all. Everything you own, your riches. Sell it all. Then take that money that you gain from the sale of all of your possessions and give it to the needy. Give it to the poor. And give it to them. And then, that's not enough. And then, come follow me. This is what's keeping you from eternal life, is what Jesus was telling him. In other words, Jesus was telling this man that even in keeping the law, that is legalism, he won't know eternal life. You don't know it. You don't possess it. 
Because no amount of good deeds will earn someone an entrance into heaven. Thank God. Thank God for that. So the question is, it's never enough? Like what we do is never enough? Is that not why we do, why we do the things that we do? If you're doing things to earn favor with God, you're doing them for the wrong reasons. If you think serving the Lord is gaining you favor in heaven, you're sadly mistaken. It's just simply a response to the love that God first demonstrated to us. It's our reasonable service. It's what we ought to do. No pats on the back, no attaboys. It's what we ought to be doing. It's a response to what and how he loves us. So the question is, never, this is never enough. Why? Because no one can keep the law perfectly, number one, because it includes motives, thoughts, and intentions. That's where we get into trouble. Our thoughts, motives, and intentions. They get us into trouble. None is righteous, no, not once, is Romans 3.10. And Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. His standard is perfection. Can we maintain that? Absolutely not. We cannot. But there was something here that goes beyond the almsgiving and the law keeping that is a love that is known in Jesus. 1 Corinthians 13.3 came to mind. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my whole body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. God is love. If I don't gain the Lord, how do I gain it? We're going to learn. It's, it's, it's all for nothing. I can do all these things. But I'll be a clanging cymbal, a noisy gong, just a terrible sound. It'll be worth nothing. Just take a look at the man's response and you'll see that Jesus uncovered exactly why the man seemed uneasy. Because it says here in verse 22, When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So Jesus, he knew, he uncovered exactly why the man seemed uneasy, uncertain, and was haunted with the sense that he really did not have it all, even with his riches and his keeping of the law. The man went away sorrowful, grieving. The Greek word for this goes way beyond a word that is used in the NIV that's sad. It's way beyond that. It's, it's a grievous spirit, a grieving spirit filled with sorrow, deep sorrow. And I believe it's Mark that said that Jesus looked at him with love, compassion, because God wishes that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God didn't desire for him to walk away He desired for him to respond to what he was telling him. To what he was pointing out was standing between him and salvation. And so he is even this morning. He's standing there with sorrow, hopefully not in his heart, but in full expectancy and a desire that us too would surrender whatever it is that's standing between us and him. He doesn't want us to walk away sorrowful or grieving. He wants us to respond to Him. Now, this is not the way all people come to know eternal life. 
but it's the willingness to let it all go in order to genuinely follow Jesus that matters. Because we need to understand Zacchaeus gave away half his income and used part of it to pay back those that he, he had defrauded. The parable of the talents encourages people not to give away everything, but to learn how to be good stewards of that which they have been entrusted with for the sake of the master. But what is a common thread through all of these situations and parables is that 100% is to be used for the purpose of glorifying the Lord, having kingdom priorities on the forefront of our minds, and blessing the Lord with everything that we have. If it's money that is the thing that is blocking your commitment to live for Jesus Christ, then God may require that of you because He wishes that none should perish, but that all would come to repentance. Because if you find yourself at this point, when, when it's explained to you, this is not the way everyone comes to salvation. Why? Because we, we don't have anything that's blocking us you know, to keep us from the Lord. We're, we come to a place to where I'm in full surrender. I give it all to you. But sometimes we, we're relieved. Okay, so... You mean I, I don't have to sell everything I own? And I don't have to give to the poor all my money and all that? No, you don't have to. If you're relieved over that, God may require that of you. Because whatever is exposed, we need to be willing to part with it for the sake of following Jesus Christ. Anything that is keeping you from following Jesus is an idol. Taking his place, and it is your God. I, I don't want to mince any words. It's an idol, and it's your God. Even if you profess with your mouth otherwise. You may say, no, that, that's not an idol. I have control over it. But if there's evidence that speaks otherwise, then that speaks for itself. Are you willing to part with your idol? Would you and will you forsake all to follow Jesus? He is either Lord of all or not Lord at all. You know, when, when we say, oh, he's my Lord, and then he... He requires something of us to change or to repent of, to confess to Him. We say, then we say, no, Lord, not that. Everything but that. That He's not Lord at all. Let's continue, though, because with God all things are possible. That's the good news. With God all things are possible. Verse 23, as we continue, says, And Jesus said to His disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. What a solemn and emphatic introduction. You know, after the exchange with this rich young ruler, Jesus turned around to his disciples and said, truly I say to you, and he goes on and says all of this, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. That's who was standing before me. 
Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of, of God. A what? To go through what? In case you missed the word difficult, Jesus describes the kind of difficult he's referring to and illustrates it by the camel going through the eye of a needle. It's, it's that difficult. So a man tries to take a camel and put it through the eye of a needle. It's not going, how do we do it? We break it down? Do we cut them up? What, what do we do? We need to get them through. Well, with man, this is, it's not possible. It's not going to go through. Now, before we imagine, because we think of rich, we think, not us. Everyone else, but not us. We think of those who live in the hills, coastal areas, cities in Southern California, Beverly Hills, Laguna, Malibu, Bel Air, and so many other cities that we can think of. But one thing we need to realize is that many among us would be considered more wealthy than this rich, young ruler was. We have great possessions. We have so much. Oh, we, we have these jobs, houses, cars, uh, retirements. Uh, we, we have all these, these extras that we can enjoy. Oh, such blessings. What if God were to require it all of you? Everything. He's requiring it all. Sell it all. Sell it all and give to the poor and and then come follow me. What would you do? You gave it to me. Well, Job said, Blessed is the Lord. When? What? As he gives, it also as he takes away, right? Naked I came into the world, naked I will leave. So there's really no chance of missing the point that Jesus was making. A rich person must become poor in spirit in order to be saved and know eternal life. Jesus had covered that as we went through Matthew chapter 5. The Beatitudes, Sermon on the Mount. A rich person must come to understand that they are spiritually bankrupt before the Lord. Completely bankrupt. I have nothing to offer the Lord. Nothing to offer the Lord. Nothing to give to Him in exchange for eternal life. I have nothing. Even though I sell everything that I own, everything that I own, everything that I possess, and give all to the poor, I still have nothing to offer the Lord in exchange for eternal life and forgiveness. I have nothing. I'm spiritually bankrupt. Many people who have, quote-unquote, enough and are comfortable financially have a sense of false independence and don't think they have a need for anything or anyone, including Jesus or salvation, God or forgiveness. Like, I I have everything, so why do I need to run to this Jesus and, and use Him as a crutch for what? Why do I need Him? The most important thing that we could come to know this side of heaven is salvation, is forgiveness. Without that, we are the poorest of people. We have absolutely nothing. 
Now the Jewish culture in that day was one that believed that God's blessing was seen with with riches, those who had riches, who were blessed by the Lord. So if those that were normally seen as most blessed by God were so unlikely to make it into the kingdom of heaven, then who stands a chance? Well, now we're getting somewhere. You know, as, as the Lord said, you know, I'm sure as he's moving along and we see this conversation continue to be worked out, it's like, that's it. With man, this is impossible. What is Heaven, eternal life, forgiveness. But with God, all things are possible. Salvation, heaven, eternal life, forgiveness. Those things are possible. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. Yeah, but why then is Jesus requiring this man to sell all he owns and give all his money away? Because he knows that this is the very thing that this man is allowing to stand between following Jesus and not following Jesus. God in his mercy and grace may require of you the very thing that stands between you and him. For the sake of salvation and proving your faith genuine in Jesus Christ. We may profess with our mouths, but where are our hearts? Are our hearts far from him? They may be. Sadly enough, there are people who are missing here this morning. Why? Because on this Father's Day, I want to relax and enjoy some time wherever, uh, preparing a barbecue, doing whatever. I, there are moments to where that may be essential. I don't know when that is, but, you know, maybe, maybe it is. There are times when, you know, you miss, and that's fine. We're not into legalism. Right? But it's a shame. When we profess with our mouths the Lord Jesus and show in our actions that other things are more important than coming and simply having fellowship and enjoying some time of worship and praising the God who is above all, the God who has provided all. I, I, I want to I be nowhere else but right here. Even if I wasn't here, Behind this pulpit, I would much more desire to be right there. Then we can go. We can go and enjoy the rest of the day. That's fine. But first, I want to put God first. I want to go to church. I want to be that example. I want to lead my family. I want to lead my wife. I don't want anything to stand between me and the Lord. And quite frankly, by God's grace and His power and His Spirit... I will put him before my wife, my children, or anyone else. Or anything else. I was asked the other day what, you know, do you, do you fear death? You know, the, do you have any anxieties about it? And to be honest with you, I don't. I don't. I've thought about death. I don't have any reservations. My hope is completely in the Lord. Not even my fear of that should keep me from fully surrendering to the Lord and giving Him everything. 
Don't think for a moment that if this rich young ruler would have been willing to give it all up, just as Jesus had said that the Lord, just as Jesus had required of him, that he couldn't have restored all his riches and then some. God is able. You know, sometimes we're tested in these areas. Are you willing to give it all up? Are you willing to forsake all for, for me? And we respond, yes, Lord, I, I would. We don't need to look any further than Job to see how God can restore what the locusts have eaten. I've, I've experienced that in my own life. How it is that as there are things that have been taken away and, oh man, things come back new and, and, and he's restored what the locusts have eaten, haven't they? Hasn't he? In some amazing ways. It was not a point of riches. That's, that's not even the point. We're missing the point if we focus on the riches. But of the heart of man. That was the point. If we lose anything in life, is it really a loss if it leads to salvation, eternal life, forgiveness of our sins? I've seen families come to the Lord through the loss of a loved one. Was it a loss or a gain? Because if that loved one died in the Lord, we can say, I will see my whoever. I will, I will see them later. I, it's not a like goodbye forever. It's an I'll see you later. So for those that have come to Christ, it's a gain. It's a gain. Oh, more people have come to the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. That is awesome. Do we realize it? that we have an inheritance worth everything. Verse 27 says, Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on His glorious throne, you, will, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging, and, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Now, Peter realizes something. We've left it all to follow you. If this is true, then what will we have? Because we've, we've done that. We've left it all. He told us, come follow me. We dropped our nets. We, we, we left our father. We, we left everything. And we, we are following you. What then will we have? I know we may quickly jump to the conclusion that Peter again has foot in mouth syndrome. Right? That he spoke selfishly. But we need to understand that Jesus did not rebuke him. He may have spoken from a lack of understanding. But he was getting the point. He was understanding. It may have been a little confusion there, but you can't say that it was selfishness because he wasn't rebuked by Jesus. Notice that Jesus does not rebuke Peter, but openly and clearly tells Peter and the disciples that they will serve a special role in the future judgment and perhaps in the millennial reign of Christ. Amazing. Jesus now is looking forward to the new world. He's referring to the regeneration, the renewal of things, the dissolution and recreation of the cosmos, new heavens and a new earth. That's what he's referring to. 
And Jesus tells them that whatever they forsook, everything that they left would be worth what they gained, God's glory and eternal life. It would be worth it all. It will be worth it all. What would you give in exchange for eternal life? There's a story of a man who found a hidden treasure in a field. In Matthew 13, 44, it says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys a field. And then there is the story of this merchant that found a pearl of great value. Matthew chapter 13, verses 45 and 46. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Jesus' uh, Jesus' disciples had heard a lesson on what it means to know eternal life. What it means to follow Jesus. In Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 26, says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Well, we've learned over the course of this morning's message, nothing. We have nothing to exchange, nothing to give. 3,000 people realized the value of salvation when Peter finished preaching on the day of Pentecost after Jesus' resurrection and ascension. The people were cut to the heart, as it says in Acts chapter 2, verses 37 and 38. And said to Peter and the rest of the the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There was one person who saw salvation in Paul and Silas. As they were sitting in this jail, and the earth trembled. And in all of the cells, the doors opened up. And there was a situation that happened. Well, they, they didn't leave. The Philippian jailer at that point asked the question, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Acts chapter 16, verses 30 and 31. Because in Christ you will know peace. You will know a peace that surpasses all understanding and endures through all circumstances. You will know a contentment in Christ that remains with you in spite of any situation in life you may experience because your sufficiency is in Christ and not in anything you possess or position you're in or achievements you've earned. It's in none of that. For none of that can be exchanged for eternal life. And when we know salvation in Jesus Christ, when we know an intimate relationship with Him, We have this certain hope. And that kind of just levels everything out. We have a prize to which we look to. We strive to attain. And just in case someone thinks that the first is the person who is seen doing much for the Lord in service, you need not look any further than the person who is on their knees in their prayer closet praying for that person. The first shall be last and the last first. Sometimes we think of the person who's out in front is the one that's going to get all the treasure on. No. No. There are people who are doing much more without being seen for the Lord.
Why? Because their hearts are right before him. And that is the treasure that we seek. Keep your eyes on the Lord. God sees it all and he knows it all. The question in closing is, what is standing between you and salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ? What, what's standing? If you're here, you do not know salvation. What, what are you allowing? Because it's not God. What are you allowing to stand between you and salvation? What is it? Is it worth it? I would tell you, it's not worth it. It's not worth it because to deny Christ is to deny salvation and spend eternity in hell apart from the Lord. It's not worth it. What is getting in the way of your relationship with Jesus Christ? In other words, what would you say you're so busy with that you don't have time for reading God's Word, spending time in prayer and in fellowship with God's people? What's getting in your way? What are you allowing to get in the way? Do you know the value of salvation and a relationship with Jesus Christ? Remember, That all things are possible with God. Choose Him and be willing to forsake all else. He'll never let you down. He is the good Father who loves us with an everlasting love and will never, ever, ever, ever forsake us. So I pray this morning that if, if you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that let me put it really simple. Surrender to Him. Ask Him for forgiveness and ask Him to be your Lord and Savior. We don't don't need anything else. In the quietness, in the privacy of your seat right there, you could simply ask the Lord, forgive me of my sins. I have been stubborn. I have let all kinds of things stand between me and you. I simply surrender all to you. I ask that you would give me eternal life. Forgive me of my sins. For I, I understand that I, have, I am saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. He is the Son of God. He died for my sins, rose on the third day, and ascended to the right hand of the Father. I, I, I believe in Him. And I believe that He can forgive me. He will. And then the fruits of salvation will be demonstrated in your own life. Because God promises that He'll give you a new heart, a whole new life. You will be a new creature in Christ. And it, it will be evident you'll be evident. And you will profess him to all others publicly. And I I know that beyond a shadow of a doubt. If you're here also, and you've allowed something to get between you and the Lord, you've been hesitant. Anything, prayer, fellowship, reading God's word, then I I would ask you to repent. Repent. Stop it. We need to get to that point to where we, we don't allow anything to get between us and the Lord. That we're, we fall in line with, hey, we're, we want to be obedient to you and we want to glorify you. By God's grace, by his spirit, we can persevere in our faith. And I pray that you would allow the Lord this morning to do that very work in your life. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Lord, for your compassion, your patience, your love, your mercy, your grace. We thank you, Lord, that you are faithful in all your ways. You are trustworthy. You are are perfect as a father. In fact, you demonstrated your your own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so, Father, we simply surrender to you right now. 
and ask, Lord, that you would help us to walk according to your spirit, according to your word, that we would bring you glory. We would not only come to know salvation, but we would know how to work out our salvation with fear and trembling before you, a holy and righteous God. We just give you all the praise and all the honor, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.